Amen. So this morning I want to talk to you about the essentials of unity in a church. The essentials or the fundamentals or the basics or the nuts and bolts, any which way you want to say it, of unity in a church. Who knows that it's very important to have unity in a church? It's very important. So once we look at this, I looked in the Bible when I prepared this. And when I open up in Peter, it says something which I like. I should have had the, uh, the message, uh, the theme or the topic of the message saying blessing. That's what it says. When you open up in your Bible and you open up in chapter 3, uh, one of the headings there says it like this. Uh, chapter 3 from verse 8, he says, Called to a blessing. Called to a blessing. And that is for us to be a blessing for other people. Is that what you want to be? I want to be a blessing for others. I want to bless other people. And I've changed it. You know, I said essentials of unity in a church. The nuts and bolts. What makes a church function properly? It is you. It is us. It's the people. We make it function. And for something to be able to function, there needs to be unity. Unity, another word for unity is oneness. Oneness. But everybody became the same in their thought processes. It's not cookie cutter type of religion we're talking about. Each one of us has got your own personality still. I mean, let's have a look at it. You come from different nations, backgrounds, upbringings, and all of these things. But once we come together into a church, all of these different backgrounds come into a church, what makes us one? What is the central piece that makes us all one? Come on. Love. Is that it? Jesus. Jesus' love. Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ is the centerpiece of this ministry. The cross of Christ brings us all together as one. And this is what we want to talk about. Peter, over the last few weeks that we've studied and looked through the Bible in the previous parts, talked about how we need to deal with strangers and how we need to operate with strangers and with the government. Now, we are under the authority of the government. And then he brought it a little bit more home. He says, how do we operate in the church environment? And then he spoke and he wrote a lot about husbands and wives. How we ought to deal with one another. How we need to submit to one another. How husbands need to love their wives. He even said in the previous verses in that uh, chapter, he says, husbands, love your wife so that your prayers might not be hindered. That's a very important message we need to understand. And now he turns his focus back onto you as an individual as part of this church. And this is what we're going to explore and look into this morning. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8. He says, finally. You see the word finally? What does it mean? It means finally. <laughs> he says, 
And now that I've talked about how we deal with strangers, with the government, how we deal with our husbands and our wives, and we are working for masters, our bosses, finally I want you to understand how I bring all of those things together. He says, all of you be of one mind. Will all of the all of yous please put up their hands? Shall I say that again? I think it's a cold morning and I think it was quickly. Will all of the all of you please put up your hands? Yes, it's everybody of us. It's each one sitting here. He writes this, Peter, to the scattered people who might be coming together in a house because they are persecuted, who might be a small group of ten people, five people having church. He speaks to them and he speaks to you and me this morning. He says, first of all, all of you be of one mind. How much is one? I'm really asking this morning, am I? How much is one? It's one. <laughs> and that's what it is. One is not two or three or four. And this is oneness. Let me just say right now, this sermon this morning, you can apply it to every facet of your life. You can apply this sermon to your relationship with your family, your children, moms and dads. You can apply this sermon this morning to you and your wife, the two of you. You can apply this sermon this morning with your relationship with your workplace. You can apply this sermon this morning to you and your friends. It all comes together as a child of God. Remember, we want to be a blessing. We want to look at these essentials of unity. He says it there, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be cautious, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but, what word is that? It's a very theological word, isn't it? Sharp contrast, but, on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Who likes to inherit a blessing? Is it only me? He gives us here a recipe. How to inherit the blessing. He gives us here the essentials of having a good godly church. He gives us the essentials of having a good relationship between a husband and a wife. He gives us the essentials to have a good relationship between children and their parents. And a good relationship between you and your friends and your bosses. And, and oh, what? it's a very, very good message to you and me. You see, he gives us all of these things and then he says, but on the contrary, be a blessing and that's what we want to be. And then he says, we are called to this. What does that mean? It means it's not just a choice that you have. You are called to this by whom? By the Lord himself. Because everything that I'm going to tell you now has been operated in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was the perfect example of this, of being a blessing to this world. Was he a blessing? You better believe so. So the first thing, if we look at how can we be a blessing, how can we apply the essentials of unity in a church, is right there. He says it up there. He says, be of one mind. In other words, he says, we need to live in harmony. Another word for harmony is in agreement. We need to live in agreement with one another. 
you see what I meant, that it's applicable to all of your relationships in life? If you do not live in agreement with somebody, then that relationship breaks up. Is this right? It is so practical. And now when he talks to a church, he says we need to be all of one mind. And a perfect example that I want to give you this morning is in an orchestra. Who loves this music that orchestras make? I love it. I listen to it. And you know what is so beautiful for me when I listen to this? All of the instruments are in tune. All of the instruments are in tune. If one instrument is not in tune, what happens? You generally, if you listen, if you've got an ear for music, we've got a teacher here this morning, a music teacher, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you sit there and you know how to listen to music and all of these instruments, all of these instruments come together and they make a sweet melody, if one instrument is off, the expert this morning, Matthew, will tell you, that's it, it's dissonance. I love it. Thank you for bringing that. It means that you pick one up, and because that one is not in tune, it can throw the whole thing out. Am I right? And when you're a recorded artist, and you want to record this, it can take hours and hours to sit right, and to get everything perfectly right, and if you do the final take, and one instrument is out, again that word? Dissidence. What happens? You have to start all over again because it is not perfect. Within a band like this, there is an instrument of a coffee that I like very much. It's called a piccolo. Who knows what's a piccolo? I'll show you what a piccolo is. It is that small little flute thing in the lady's mouth and in her hands. And you also get coffees, okay? If you walk up to a barista, you can... A barista, not a barista, a barista... If you walk up to a barrister and you say for a piccolo, he's going to charge you $200 for that. <laughs> but if you walk up to a barista and you say, can I have a piccolo, Robin, what will you give them? A miniature latte. It's a small little cup like that. And you should see that small little cup in my big hands. People laugh at that and I go, so what? But you see, that is a piccolo. And a piccolo is also part, is also part of this big orchestra. And here is the thing. People might look at the piccolo and they might look at these big, big, big instruments over there and they say, you know, that piccolo is not worth much. But if we come back to Matthew's word again this morning, that dissonance, is it right? Dissonance. It's my accent, brother. <laughs> if you come back to the dissonance, no, that's distant. Now I've got it wrong again. <laughs> Okay, but when we play this back, this little instrument, if it's out of tune, what happens? What happens? It throws the whole thing out. So this is when Peter talks to us this morning and when we come in together. And you know what, brothers and sisters? I'd love to be the piccolo of this church, although I know I'm a big guy. <laughs> what am I, the bass? Boo. The double bass. The double bass. The picture that I want to give you this morning is the double bass is as important as this little piccolo. And this is where you sit. Never ever walk into this church and feel that you are worth nothing. 
No, no. The blood of Jesus Christ already took care of that for you. You are a son and a daughter of God, and you're important in His orchestra. But here is the thing. We need to play that instrument according to God's tune. According to God's tune. If this lady walks in there that morning or that day and she goes, I've got a different tune in my mind. And, you know, the, the, the orchestra gets ready and the conductor and everybody gets ready and they've got a tune to play and she goes off with her own tune. What's going to happen? It's that word again. It's not going to work. So we need to make sure, Peter says this morning, in this church for unity, that every single person in the church plays to the same tune. Now, whose tune is that? There's only one tune. It's God's tune. We need to play to His tune. This is why the Bible, the Word of God, is our centerpiece. This is why we study the Word of God. This is why we open up the Word of God. You don't want me to come in here as the small piccolo in the church and start playing my tune, tell you what I think about life, give you my philosophies and all of those kind of things. No, no. You want me to come in and to be in one with God, and then if I'm in one with God and you're in one with God, and it says there, John writes it in the letters of John, he says if we have fellowship with God, what do we have? We have fellowship with one and another. This is what Peter says. It's just an extension thereof. But listen to this. Now, if my fellowship with God breaks because of sin, I am playing a different tune. And because I'm now playing a different tune than God's tune, this fellowship with my brothers and sisters, what will happen? It will be broken off. It will be broken off. I can tell you many examples of that. I've seen it with my own eyes. I know of it. See what Peter says this morning when he says, finally, when we come to this point, all of you, even the piccolo and the double bass and the, and the trombone and all of those, all of you be in one tune, be of one mind. He uses the word there for one mind, is the word homophron, homophron, hom, homophron. I'm falling over my accent this morning, but I guess you will get it. He uses that word. The meaning of that word is to come together as one. And we find the same word in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, and I've chose this one, seven times in the book of Acts you find this word. More times in the New Testament. But I chose this verse. Why? Let me explain. In Acts chapter 2 verse 1 he says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come. What happened on the day of Pentecost? The Spirit of God came down. And what happened? It fell upon the people. But before it came down, where were they? They were in the upper room. In one accord. See? They were all together as one. And what did they do? They were praying in the upper room. 120 people were there in the upper room. And they kept on praying and they kept on. No worship. No singing. Just praying to God. Just calling out to God. On their faces. Broken hearts. Why? Because the Messiah is gone. The Messiah was taken up into the air in front of them. 
And now they cry out to the one whom they can't see anymore because he gave them a promise. And what was that promise? He said that not many days from now, power will come upon you to be my witnesses in, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, and to all the ends of the world. And they were in one accord, like an orchestra, perfectly tuned to God. They were calling out to him to, to receive the promise. And the promise is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them all. It says their witnesses, it came down like flames of fire, and it was like a mighty rushing wind. Oh, how we need that mighty rushing wind in our world today. Do we? You see here it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all what? Come on, you can read that. They were all in one accord. He uses the same base word there, homothumadon, which is the same base word in one place. And brother and sister, you and I in this church need to be in the same place. We need to be in harmony with God. If we're in harmony with God, we will be in harmony with one another. In harmony with one another. The oneness and the harmony which the Lord desires for the church must begin with us. It's no good you stand on the outside and you say, I want to look at this church in Karim Down and see if it's an harmony church. And you might be a member of this church or you might come here. If there's one out of tune, what will happen? It breaks the whole tune. I just showed it to you. But it starts with us, with you. It starts with you falling on your knees and crying out to God and say, Lord, the sin in my life, take, get rid of them. Because I just explained to you, it is the sin in your life. You might be the most nicest person in the world. You smile and everybody smiles with you. You say a kind word and everybody goes, wow, what a kind person. But if that is broken by sin in you, that different tune will come into the church. It's important, isn't it? Who knows that the church is full of people? It's not the building. It's not the building. And these are the people of God. This is the people of God sitting here this morning. And be very careful. God is very jealous of His people. Is it only me saying it, or is it the word backing it up? God protects his, his people. He loves His children. How do you love your children? I love my children with a passion. My grandchildren, I love them with a passion. If I pick Michael up there, man, you could see me, I gel, man. I become jelly. I say funny things. I make funny noises. Why? Because I'm jealous for my children. That jealousy means I care for them. Now, listen to this very carefully. This is God's people sitting in the church and dare not come in with a different tune because God is the one who oversees His church. He said it Himself. He said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So let me say it today for those people who listen, who comes against the children of God for the world to try to destroy Christians, they are touching the apple of God's eye. This is important, isn't it? So the first thing of becoming in one mind is to have compassion. 
to have compassion. He says it right there. It's so easy to follow. He says, be of one mind. How can we be of one mind? The first thing is having compassion for one another. Having compassion. The word there from Greek is sympathes. It's where we find the word sympathy from. To have sympathy for somebody. You know that people have needs. I believe this morning as we come into this place, there's people sitting right here, right here this morning who have needs. But the problem is, people are so focused upon themselves that they do not see the needs of others. Shall I say that again? Because you're looking shocked by that statement. We are so focused on your own needs. Oh, it's my own little pinky toe that is hurting, and it's my own pinky toe that needs attention. But I never see the, the person next to me whose big toe is hurting. And this is what he says, have sympathy. If you want to be in one accord, we need to have sympathy. Sympathy forces you to look outside of yourself to somebody else. How can you be sympathetic? A lot of people are sympathetic to themselves, but not to others. Not to others. Now the question is, how are we? I mean, it's easy to, to just shout these words out and say, be sympathetic to somebody. But how, how practically do we do that? How do we do that? Well, first of all, call them. Call somebody. Let's become a little bit practical here. If you see somebody struggling during the week, pick up the phone. Call them up and say, hey, brother, sister, you know, I just want to let you know I'm here for you. I care for you. But, but be really sympathetic about that. Don't just come here and, and you see somebody's looking, looking not well, and, 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 but call them. Call them up. Remember. What are we called to? What are we called to? We are called to this. To what? To have compassion. To have sympathy. You are called by God to have sympathy. Did Jesus Christ have sympathy? Of course He did. So the first thing is you call them. Have a chat. Just a general chat. It makes, do you know that there are lonely people in this world? Even in this church, they could be very lonely people. It's, it's, you know, coming up here on a Sunday, putting up a mask, smiling, hugging, it's good. But as soon as they go out the, the door, get into their car, go into their home, you know, loneliness sets in. Do you realize that? That's when you need to show some sympathy. Just have a chat or visit them. Or, or do this, send them a card or maybe a gift, flowers. Flowers, I learn a lot from my wife. You know, if we walk through uh, Woolworths or Coles, she always thinks about somebody who she can buy flowers for. Always. A name comes up and says, shall I buy some flowers for this lady? You know what? It is so easy to break down. It is so difficult to build up, but it's not. All it does, it takes a decision from you to think about somebody and to be a blessing. To be a blessing for them. Some, somehow, sometime, look away from self and look upon somebody else and say, you know what, today I want to bless that person. Buy them a chocolate bar, not for me, don't send me chocolate bars, okay? I'm on a, on a, on a diet. But, you know, buy, get them something that's going to just uplift them. It doesn't have to be expensive. I know you want to buy me an expensive car, don't do that. It doesn't buy me, you know. But just be a small blessing for somebody. And well, you know what? People are afraid to do that because they go, I, I wouldn't know what to say. Just be yourself. Just be yourself. I put a few pointers down here. If you want to have sympathy for somebody or compassion, 
Uh, I've put it down for you here, you know. Be direct when you come to somebody. Say to them, say, look, I'm really sorry for what you're going through. I really care for you. I really care for you. Just say it to them, direct. Some people go through difficult times and people are so afraid to, oh, oh we, we, we're not going to talk about that. You don't know how they're going to react. I'm a little bit ashamed to talk about this thing. Man, I'll tell you what, if somebody's struggling, they are crying out on the inside. And this is so important in a church. Acknowledge their pain. Don't try to talk it away. If somebody comes to you and says, look, I'm really hurting about this thing. Ah, oh, no, you know, that's not enough. It will blow over. You know, the wind will blow it over. As the mist comes and goes, this thing will come. You'll see tomorrow morning. You will, just take two aspirins and go to bed and wake up tomorrow morning. You'll feel better. No, acknowledge it. Because we all know when we go through difficult times, don't we? We've all been there. There's no person in this place who can put up their hand and say, you know, I've went through a strugglesome time in my life. We've all been there. And how good was it? How refreshing was it when somebody came around, put their arm around your shoulders and say, you know what, I care. How are you doing? I'm here for you. You know, stay on the topic. Sometimes when I, when I deal with people... You, you know, you try to talk the issue away because you don't want to address the issue. Stay on topic. It's just, just practical advice here. Avoid, this is, a, this is a really important one. Avoid giving advice at first till they ask for it. <laughs> we all fall into this trap, isn't it? As soon as somebody comes up to you and they say, oh man, I'm really struggling. Oh, and it's so, the first thing that you kick into gear is I'm going to give you advice. No, 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 no. This is how you do it. You go and you do this, then you do that, and then you do that. That's not what they asked for. That's not what they asked for. All they want to have is a year that years. That's how you apply sympathy. And another thing is lower your tone. I just thought I'd throw that one in. Have you seen if somebody gets really anxious about something in their lives? The heartbeat goes up a bit, a notch or two. And with the heartbeat, because it uses so much blood to pump through this big vein in you, this big organ, it uses the blood, and the blood in the ears goes a little bit down, you know, and then your voice goes louder because you can't hear it. Ah, you, you get it. Uh, what I can tell you is what I've seen sometimes when people are really, they're getting a little bit louder. And what do we do? We match. Oh, yeah, and then it was that when he came over, he really ran over my foot, and we go, where was it really so bad? No, no, just lower, you know, just go a little bit lower and have sympathy with these people. You see, two things here. First of all, he says, let me of the same mind, and having compassion, that's how we get unity in the church. And then what is the next thing? He says it right there. He says, laugh as brothers. The word that he uses there for laugh as brothers is philadelphos. It's the word filio. So the highest love that you find in the Greek language is agape. That's a sacrificial love. But here he uses the word filio, which is not substandard to that love. It's equal to that love, but it points to us. Godly love comes from God and lives in us. But our love is filio love. It is, it is a fondness love. I really love you. And this is the love that he talks about that we need to have for one another. A love that gives more than it takes. What's the definition for love again? I've said it so many times in this church. To satisfy others 
at the expense of self. This is that kind of love. I love it in Galatians. I think it's Galatians chapter 1 verse 16. I might be one or two verses off. He says, carry one another's burdens. You know the word that he uses there when you go back and study that passage? The carrying there means like in a military term. It's to carry someone's pack. Now believe me, I've been in the military. I've marched full metal jacket. Okay? I think to you, you were in, in, in the military as well. And it's heavy. It means that if you walk and somebody is struggling next to you, it's that you're going to take his whole pack that he's carrying, a, a full metal pack, you know, his full pack, and you take it off his shoulders and you strap it somehow to you. Now it is going to take a lot from you. It's going to tire your legs. It's going to tire your shoulders. You might be already tired, but you see your brother struggling. This is how we train. You take the whole pack and you put it on you and you carry it for them so that they might be lighter. That is the kind of thing that he talks about here when he talks about this. Love your brothers and sisters. Carry them. Sacrifice for them. It costs to love somebody. The question is again now, and I like to be practical today, okay? How do we do this? And there's a lot more. I've just highlighted a few. Otherwise, we'll talk the whole day. The first one is put them first. If you want to love somebody, you put them first. It is written up there for us in Philippians 2 verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Oh, here we go. Selfish ambition. That's the biggest problem in our world today. Would you believe it? Even the psychologists who teach the world to be successful say that you need to find the better self in you. Isn't that right? Selfish. Ambition. And here in the word it says it's the opposite. It's do not. Nothing from selfish ambition conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Oh, that's a difficult thing to do. That's tough, isn't it? This doesn't only mean when you feel like it. You see, this is how people love in this world. Who knows that love is not an emotion, it's a choice. Love is not an emotion. You can't say, oh, you know, I fell in love, and then I fell out of love. No, no. You choose to love, and you choose not to love. Love is a choice. That's a different message. But this is it. You put them first always. You choose to put others first, and you come second. Who loves to eat chicken? You know, that little leg, and the, the, the what, what do you call it? The drumstick. Back in our day, the drumstick was the most nicest thing on a ch chicken that you eat. And I remember, man, if you're walking in, you're the father of the house, the dad, you sit down, and everybody knows. The drumstick goes to dad. <laughs> It's when dad comes in and says, no, you can have the drumsticks. <laughs> but this is it. First thing is you put them first. Seek to do them good. This is what you do. This is love. Look at it. 1 Thessalonians 5.15. Always seek to do good to another. Always seek to do good to them. Not bad. Whatever you do against your brother and sister, ask yourself this question. Is this for the good or is this for the bad? Is this going to improve? Or is this going to break? And then also ask and give forgiveness. I should have had this one, biggest of all, and it's on its own page. The biggest of all to love others is to ask forgiveness and to give them forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is one thing in relationships that breaks relationships. Between husbands and wives, parents and children, bosses at work, in churches, is forgiveness. And let me just ask the question, everybody in this room, have you made a mistake in your life that upset other people? Have you? So we all acknowledge we've done it. So if we've done it, we want that person to forgive us, wouldn't we? We want to go up to them and say, I am sorry, please forgive me. And then we want them to say, I forgive you totally. And let me just tell you what forgiveness is. Because I hear so many times people say, oh, I've forgiven them. No, no. Forgiveness means as if it's never happened before. That's what it means. So you've done something against me. You come to me and you ask me, please forgive me. And I say, I've forgiven you. It's as if that thing never happened Oh, but here is the problem, brother and sister. Just four weeks or five weeks down the line, you're sitting here talking with somebody else, and all of a sudden you say, you wouldn't believe this. If I tell you, you wouldn't believe it. What? Oh, that person did this and they did that. But I've forgiven them. No, no, the fact that you recall it so quickly and so easily, and you use it not for the good but for the bad, means that you've never, you've said the words, but the heart and the mouth and the mind is all far from its other. Let's be honest against This is what love is. So it's not just easy to read these words, and a lot of people just read over it and say, yeah, I love the brothers and sisters. I come around, I pat them on the back. No, no. Love puts them first. It seeks to do them good, and it asks forgiveness, and it gives forgiveness. Colossians 3.13, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Remember at the table this morning, what do we say? He reconciled us with God through His blood. But wait a minute, we nailed him. We nailed him to the tree, didn't we? You say, but I didn't do it. I wasn't the Roman shoulder who put the nails through his hands. I wasn't the, the Jews who rejected him. Oh, yes, you did. Oh, yes, you did. By the things that's going on in your mind and the acts you've done, you've made yourself an enemy of God so that you needed to be forgiven by Him. And you know what you did? If you sit here and you call yourself a child of God, you went on your knees, humbled yourself, and you asked forgiveness for what? For the sins that you've done against Him. And what did He do? Come on, you tell me. He forgave you. And what is the sign of that? The cross. The blood. So this is what this passage says when Paul writes to them. He says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You stand forgiven. Why can't you forgive others? Oh, but I know how it works. Because I'm also like you. I won't forgive them if they come and ask me forgiveness. They have to come and ask me forgiveness. No. Oh, you know, if this happened, then I will. No, no. This is love. You preempt it. But let me walk on. That's a different message again about forgiveness. We listen to them. Be quick to hear James 1.19. And we include them. We show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Can you see how deep love is? Do we need love in the church? Do we need sympathy in the church to have unity? Of course we do. Let me move on. He says there's another one. Be tender-hearted. You see? So we have compassion, that's sympathy, we love, and now we need to be tender-hearted. 
tender-hearted. To be tender-hearted comes from this word, isplanknos. That's the Greek word. It means to be kindly or pitiful. Kindly or pitiful. Do you know what kindness is? Kindness is, is, is power under control. Power under control. So we've got Michael there at the back. You've heard me use this example. I'll use it again. He's a small little boy. He's five months old. And, he, and I'm a strong man. You know, I still do a gym, if you would believe it or not. I, I can bend a few irons in the, in, in the gym. I won't tell you how much weight I can lift. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of strong in my arms. If I take that little baby in my arms and I start pressing, because I've got the power, and I keep on pressing, what will happen? Hey? We'll crush him. And what will happen? He'll die. No, no. But when I take him like this morning, I take him in my big hands and I hold him there. And I put him against me. What am I? I'm kind to him. I've got my power under control. I don't crush him. Why? Because I love him. If that love operates in the church, then we need to learn what he's telling us here. For unity, he says, be tender-hearted. One, one's heart needs to be broken with the things that breaks the heart of the Lord. Let me just give you this example. Look, I am all for people going out in the streets and evangelizing in the streets and preach the gospel of the, in the streets. But I saw this week on a YouTube video about Christians who went out and started preaching in a place in, 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 in Britain. And, and when they came there, there was a big push against them. And then these Christians started fighting with these people started fighting with them. And I, I look at this and I go, if I look from a distance and I take all the sound bites out of it, who would look to me like the instigators here? You see, these people go out there and they say, we've got the power of God and you haven't got the power. No, no, that power needs to be controlled by the passion and with the kindness of God when you go out to share the gospel to people. In this particular YouTube video, who was arrested? The Christians. Who was the more aggressive in that whole group? Them. And you see, I see this happening all over. I see this happening in families. We've got the power of the Word of God. And so many times in relationships it happens that you come over and you say, you can't do that to me because the Word of God says this and the Word of God says this and you are wrong and the Word of God says this and the Word of God says this. That's never the way that God intended His Word to be spread. It is a message of love. It's not a knife to kill. Tender-hearted in the church, because we know what's right. We have got the power of the word, but we share it with kindness and, and, and with that. It, it reminds me, I read a story about a, a lady who, who won four goldfish. As children went to a fair, and they won four goldfish. And they walked away with the little bag of goldfish home. But the problem was at home they didn't have a bowl, a fish bowl. So mom jumped in the car racing around because, you know, we've got these children looking at these fish. They can't live in this plastic bag. And she raced around and, and she came to this one place and it was something like $80 for a bowl. She goes, ah, oh, that's too much. But as she walked down the aisle, there was a used one. A little bit of mold in it for five bucks and she grabbed it. She said, what a bargain. And she bought it and she took it home. And for the next two hours, he said it was worth it. He scrubbed that thing clean, properly clean. 
and they put the water in and put the four goldfish in and she said man it looked as if these goldfish had a smile in the new house they were swimming around and they had food in there but the next day one was dead the next day she go oh, that's sad and you know the, all the children were sad and crying and everything and she go that's fine that's okay we still have three but the next day another one is dead and in the afternoon another one is dead all of a sudden they only have one and she called up a very good friend who she knows has got goldfish as well and she came over and looked at this tank and, and she asked the question say wait a minute wait a minute when you cleaned this tank did you clean it with soap she goes yes so oh, you see that's the thing you never clean it with soap fish don't like soap they die and the message here my brother and sister is you know sometimes uh, she seems to love these things and to prepare everything for them. But not knowing there's killer soap in this thing, it's the way you deal with people. See, she's a Christian lady. She uses an example. She says it's the uninformed way that you deal with people that can kill them. She was uninformed about the soap in this thing. Let us not be like that. Now, before we move on and finish off today, he uses another. Remember, of one mind, we have passion, uh, sympathy, sorry, compassion. We love one another. We are tender hearted. And then he says, be courteous. Did I say that right? Courteous. 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 Praise the Lord. Courteous. What does it mean? It means to have manners, to be friendly. That's what it means. And let me tell you, this world needs a dose of courteousness. Courteousness. Yeah? Am I right? This world need, it needs people who have manners. I'm now also jumping on public transport. I'm sitting in a train, and believe me, I learn a lot of things now. I'm out of the comfort zone of my car every morning onto a train. Every morning at 10 past 7, I catch the train. I love it. Zone out for an hour. But I look around. Older people come into a train. Young people don't stand up anymore. Don't even acknowledge it. A lady the other day with a disability came in. And uh, the people sitting on a disability just looked at it. Yeah, what's that? You see, it's shocking for the world if we see it in the world. But it's more shocking when we see it in the church, isn't it? So we need to have manners. Let me give you a few. Hold the door for others. Do you see that? Is people still doing that? Hold the door for others. Smile. Just a smile. Say thank you and please. Say, it, it seems to me as if I'm teaching young people here, isn't it? We should have this in schools. But believe me, there's adults who can hear this as well. Just to say thank you and please. And listen before you babble on. So we are courteous. And then let's finish off this morning. Because he says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for revival, but the contrary, be a blessing. Know that you were called to this. We are called to be a blessing. And these things will make you a blessing. Listen, you belong to God, and in you is His blessing. Is His blessing the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to say this morning, be a blessing then for the world, but more so for your brothers and sisters in the church. Be a blessing. It's like this river. This big river that runs through a dry country. The longer the river. Because everywhere where the river touches, it blesses, isn't it? Have you seen a river? 
Next to the river, you see the green trees. They get the water. They are blessed. The longer the river runs, the more the blessing. The longer the blessing. You be like that river. Wherever you go, bless people. Smile. Open the door. Be courteous, courteous to them. Say hi. Have you seen when you smile to people what happened? Have you seen? You generally get a smile back. This is what he says we ought to be in church. And then before I pray, let's say the last words that Peter says. He says, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. This is not a choice, what I've preached this morning. It is a calling. You are called to this. Amen? Are we going to be a church of unity? Let's practice that. Heavenly Father, I pray and I thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Yes, Lord, your word is powerful, it's living, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul, and it's the discerner of our hearts. Father, you've discerned my heart this morning.